All right, welcome to this edition of Bible News Radio. Hey, everybody, glad that you're there watching the show. Do me a favor, if you don't mind, take a moment to share this out on whatever platform you're watching it on. We are so grateful that you have decided to join us for our special Christmas edition of Bible News Radio. This is today, we're going to talk about the war on Jesus, the war on Christmas. The war on everything Jesus, really, is really what we're going to talk about. We have so many stories that came across. I mean, as I was prepping this show, me and Randall were like, there's too many. (laughs) I can't put them all in one show. So what we're going to do is we're going to highlight some headlines, and then we're going to dive deeper into some of the other articles that we found. Uh, But first, I want to invite you to go over to our website, BibleNewsRadio.com, and join our email list there. You'll get a follow-up email about what we had on the show. You'll get emails about our upcoming Bible studies. And you'll get, you know, other stuff like that. So, BibleNewsRadio.com. I believe it's right here on the side of the thing. Uh, and don't forget, also, you can listen to our show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Rumble, on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on Anchor, we have just our podcast. We have the show is a lot of different places. It's not just probably where you're watching it at. So make sure that if you're on those platforms, you subscribe and share out. And we really, really, really appreciate it. So the first thing I want to do, though, today is I want to begin our program reading one of my favorite passages about Christmas from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We're reading the New American Standard, the 1995 edition. It begins this way. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace." There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So I don't know how many of you actually take the time to read Isaiah 9, 6 out of context, that's the up for unto us, the child is born verse. But you just heard it in its context. And I think in the context, it's actually way more powerful, especially when you add verse 7 to it. Um, and, and especially when you think about 
today's day and age, when you consider that we are living in um, a culture of fear where everybody is scared that they're going to die of, you know, COVID. Um, And people are scared because the world is falling into a place where eventually it's going to fall into a world dictatorship, which will fall under an antichrist who will ultimately control the whole world. And they're not going to do this peacefully, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. So this verse here in verse seven, it says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom is really, really profound. In fact, this morning I was reading in First Chronicles. I've been struggling through that book, just so you know. I don't know how many of you have read First Chronicles lately, but but I was reading it and and you know after I've gotten past a lot of the genealogy in the first part of the book, um, somewhere around chapter 14, 15, and 16 and onward, um, we begin to see a little bit history of David, right? Have you ever wondered how David, how Jerusalem became the city of David? If you've never wondered that, let me tell you, it's it's right there in First Chronicles. And it's very interesting. And what really struck me, actually, this morning as I read this, and this is just kind of free Bible trivia for you, is there was a reference to Jebus, J-E-B-U-S, okay? Now, what's interesting about that is, is um, many haters of God today in many different communities, whether it's atheist or whatever community, they will mock Jesus and they will call him Jebus, J-E-B-U-S. They, they will do that, right? So I was reading this and that popped into my head when I read that. I was like, huh. But it's actually a short reference to the Jebusites, um, which, is, which is actually mentioned there. And what happened was David came in to Jerusalem into that area and he conquered the Jebusites. That's what he did. And then he, you know, he he put together this big army, uh, which it goes into all this detail about how many people were with them. And there was these three and then there was the 30 and and then it, it just goes into this really fascinating in, information really um, about how the city of David became the city of David. Uh, and so I read that this morning. I was just like, that is so cool that even even in the Bible, a mocking term that is still used today uh, against Jesus, it actually is in the Bible, and I don't think these people know that, as an indicator of who the Jebusites were, who David came in and conquered in order to eventually uh, have the city of David be established forever and ever and ever. And Jesus sits on the throne of David. And so without that, we wouldn't even have that. So it's just, um, it's so cool. It says in the rest of this verse to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So yeah, people are today, they're going to like mock Christ. That's what it's all about. The prince of the power of the air, the devil, does not like Jesus, period. And he will do anything that he can to mock Jesus. And um, and if you can get people to not even believe Jesus existed, then you're, you're doing a good job. So it's interesting. Uh, one of the first stories I want to share with you is, um, I'm trying to find it because there's 
Oh, yeah, here it is. It's, this is on Christianity Today, and it's titled this. It's titled, Most Americans and Many Christians Don't Believe the Son of God Existed Before the Manger. Now, I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> that is so sad. I mean, that is so sad because unless you read the Old Testament, if you don't read the Old Testament, how would you... You know, how would you know that? But anyway, let's look at this um, article. It's very interesting. It says here, there's widespread agreement around Christmas as a historical event, but people are confused about the Trinity per recent survey. Christmas is a celebration of a real event. According to most Americans, just don't expect them to know exactly why Jesus was born and came to earth which is so sad. A new study from Lifeway Research finds close to three in four Americans believe Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a.k.a. the city of David, uh, more than 2,000 years ago. Even more, uh, well, actually, is Bethlehem the city of David? Is that right? There's a, Jer a Jerusalem. I think I just misspoke, but anyway. Yeah, Bethlehem <laughs> is the city of David. And if you want to get a little technical, it's really in between. It's outside of... Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay. But near. Well, anyway. Anyway, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which actually means house of breath, bread. Um, anyway, uh, so the bread of life was born in the house of bread, which is not new to me or you. Okay. Anyway, uh, more than 2,000 years ago, even more say Jesus is the son of God, the father, but less than half believe Jesus existed prior to being born on that first Christmas. Most Americans consider Jesus' birth a historical fact, said Scott McConnell, executive director of LifeWay Research. It can be easy to only evaluate Jesus like you would any other historical figure, thinking about when he lived and what he did. However, the Bible also describes Jesus in a way that one must evaluate who you believe he was. From God the Father, but half as many believe he existed before his birth. <clears throat> More than 9 in 10 Americans, 91%, celebrate Christmas, according to a previous LifeWay research study released this year. For most of those celebrating, Christmas is about a historical occurrence. More than 7 in 10, 72%, say that Jesus Christians believe in that's really poorly written there, <laughs> was born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago, including 49% who strongly agree. Few 9% disagree, while 18% aren't sure. <clears throat> and then there's a chart on my page, but I will scroll through that to get back down to this part. Uh, <clears throat> most Americans, 80% agree Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Father, while 10% disagree and 10% are not sure. The average person isn't quite as sure about the Son of God's existence prior to Jesus' birth. Around 2 in 5, that's 41%, say God's Son existed before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, close to 1 in 3 Americans, 32% disagree, and 28% say they're not sure. They don't know. The 2020 State of Theology study showed that 72% of Americans believe there's one true God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Prophecies such as those in Isaiah 9, which I just read, reflect that the Messiah would be the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. While these titles reflect the Trinity, some Americans do not connect the Jesus born in Bethlehem with the Messiah, who, are, who already existed as God now coming in the flesh. 
They're religiously unaffiliated, are least likely to agree with any of the statements surrounding Jesus' birth and identity. But some still believe despite their stated disconnect from organized religion. Almost half, 48%, believe Jesus Christ is the Son of of God the Father, and a third, 33%, say Jesus was really born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. Fewer, 15%, believe the Son of God existed before Jesus was born. So there's actually a very small percentage of people that actually believe the biblical truth here, if you look at that. Among Christians, those who attend church four times a month or more, that's once a week, basically, (laughs) are most likely to believe each of the statements about Jesus and his birth. 98% believe he is the Son of God the Father. 95% say he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And 63% agree the Son of God existed before Jesus was born. It's still amazing to me how small that percentage is. Why Christmas? Americans aren't always sure what motivations Jesus ascribed to himself and his coming to earth. When given seven options, four correct and three incorrect, for reasons the Bible records Jesus as saying why he came, only one choice garnered a small majority. Americans are more likely to choose a correct answer than the false ones. Half, Yeah, I know, right? That's good. (laughs) Half, 51% say the Bible records Jesus is saying he came to give his life for many, which Jesus does say in Mark 10, 45, quote, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Around three in 10 Americans, 31%, rightly say Jesus came to give life in abundance. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. John 10, 10, that's in the Christian Standard Bible version. And testify to truth. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. John eighteen thirty seven. Far fewer, nine percent, believe the Bible records Jesus saying he came to bring division rather than peace, despite him making that claim in Luke twelve fifty one. And that is right; he totally said that. Altogether, only three percent of Americans recognized all four options in the list that match biblical quotes from Jesus, and that's so. That's very sad. Fewer than 1 in 10 Americans falsely identified other reasons for Jesus' coming to earth. 9% believe Jesus said he came to, to be served, which contradicts Mark 10.45. 8% think he said he wanted to abolish the Old Testament law and prophets, which he never said. That's contradicted Matthew 5.17. 8% say Jesus came to condemn sinners, uh, which is contradicted by John 3.17. Okay. Despite widespread belief that Jesus really came to earth as a baby, there is far less familiarity with why Jesus said he came, said McConnell. However, the majority of Americans believe Jesus came to give his life for many, which is reflected in the angel's words to Joseph in Matthew 121. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So there you go. Interesting research, kind of sad if you really think about it, especially when you consider that America religious foundation primarily established through the Puritans was biblical, and the Bible was taught in the schools, uh, where now it's not. Now it's not taught in schools. Randall, you want to weigh in on any of that? Uh, Sure. Okay. (laughs) Um. You know, we've been reading through the book of Mark and Daily Disciples, and I've been reading ahead just... Because uh, you're an overachiever. I am. 
But uh, yeah, you are. A verse from chapter twelve really stood out to me yesterday. That's a yeah. Yesterday morning, I was reading chapter twelve, and when Yeshua Jesus was speaking to uh, the Sadducees, who were uh, of course didn't believe in the resurrection, they gave him this you know hypothetical with a woman and seven brothers. And uh, none of them raised up, you know, children or had children by her and whose wife she'll be. Anyway, uh, they're just trying to, you know, poke holes in the idea of resurrection. Jesus said to them, is this not why you go astray or err, depending on your translation? But basically, you're, you're mistaken, not, not just that you're mistaken, but that you stray away, you err, you... You know, you're not on the right path, basically. You're not following truth. Is this this not why you go astray? Because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. And those two, I think, are essential and explain every form of either heresy or just biblical, well, illiteracy, like we see here. The people not recognizing, one, they don't know the scriptures. All right, and some that do know the scriptures don't know the power of God. And although in the case of this story, it's simply not knowing the scriptures of so many identified three, um, you know, wrong, untruthful statements that aren't found in scripture and attributing them uh, to the Lord. Um, I mean, as far as his preexistence, I mean, to look at his own self-witness, you know, before Abraham was, I am. If that's not right. <laughs> pre-existence, I don't know. And he says, I'm, I'm returning to the Father. You don't return to the Father unless you originated from there. Um, he says, I'm returning to the Father. And he talks about coming down from heaven. Um, and certainly he... You know, the man, Christ Jesus, had an earthly human birth, um, a miraculous birth, um, divine fatherhood. Um, but anyway, so he talks about coming from heaven. He's obviously talking about a time before his birth, unless you want to get all Mormon or whatever and say we're all spirit babies from spirit parents and then come into a physical body yeah well you know one of my favorite passages about the pre-incarnate christ is actually in colossians Mm. i love this in verse 13 it says in chapter in chapter one of colossians verse 13 it says for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation. Now, the firstborn there, people confuse that as being the first created thing. You know, the first, right. no, but they don't understand the Greek word. But then it goes on to say, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which means he was the firstborn resurrected from the dead who didn't die again, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. 
for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Amen. So if you read that in Colossians chapter 1, if you read that, you should know that Jesus existed before the manger. Just saying. Yes, and and those who would say, well, you know, it's a Pauline epistle, and, you know, that was after the death of Jesus, and this is kind of the folklore brought it. Well, no, again, look look at Yeshua, Jesus, and his own testimony. He said to Philip, have I been with you so long, Philip? You've not known me. Who had seen me has seen the Father. Um, you know, so as far as being the express image of God, you know, I and the Father want it. We, we could, we could just take the Gospels hmm. and everything that you know people miss about his preexistence, and just just the the testimonies uh, of you know his own witness alone. There's a reason that the Pharisees took up stones to <laughs> kill him to kill on him. more than one occasion. Um, so let's let's look now yeah. at some of the other articles. There's so many. We're going to try to get through these. Um, if we end up going 90 minutes today, that's why we're taking a little bit longer. We'll try not to commentate too much, but, you know, it's hard not to. So how many of you have gotten your vaccine so far? Okay. How many of you have been told that Jesus would get the vaccine, so you should get it? Okay, so probably a lot of you have heard that. Uh, there's an article coming out of the United King- Kingdom uh, that from Arch- the Archbishop of Canterbury is suggesting that Jesus would get a vaccine. Um, and he says, basically, getting the jab is not about me and my rights to choose. It's about how I love my neighbor. Um, <clears throat> this is the most interesting um, argument that I have I've heard and I've actually seen it says here the Archbishop of Canterbury has implied that Jesus would get vaccinated against COVID. Uh, (laughs) Jesus would heal people. (laughs) If he was here, he'd be going around probably healing people with COVID. But anyway, um, anyway, it says here, um, Justin Welby suggested that people who refuse to get jabbed are immoral, as he told people to love one another, as Jesus said. Immoral. Asked by ITV News if, if being vaccinated is a moral issue, the archbishop said, I'm going to step out on this on thin ice here and say, yes, I think it is. A lot of people won't like that, but I think it is because it's not about me and my rights. Now, obviously, there are some people who, for health reasons, can't be vaccinated, Different question, but it's not about me and my rights to choose. It's about how I love my neighbor. Vaccination reduces my chances, doesn't eliminate, but it reduces my chances of getting ill and reduces reducing my chances of getting ill reduces my chances of infecting others. It's very simple. So I would say yes, to love one another, as Jesus said, get vaccinated, get boosted. On whether it would be immoral or not to get the jab, if you can, Mr. Welby added, I understand why people don't. But I would say go and get boosted, get vaccinated. It's how we love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is what Jesus told us to do. It's Christmas, do what he said. I'm not going to read the rest of the article, but I will give the alternate point of view on this, and that is that if, if that's the logic that we're we're using is that you don't love your neighbor if you choose not to get vaccinated because you believe what you're being told by the liberal media 
about this vaccination, then my question is, what if you listen to alternative media that doesn't tell you the same story? What if you listen to the research that says over a million people who've gotten the vaccine have been injured and many have died from it? And then how do you explain, how does the media explain this quote that I saw recently? And this is, this is a, a quote that I lifted from Billy Crone's presentation on COVID, on the COVID-19 thing, his fifth part on the series. Quote, the government has a difficult task simultaneously to convince the uninjected that the injection works so they get the shot and convince the injected that the injections don't work so that they continue to get the booster shots. So there's, I mean, logic here. On the one hand, the government has to say, you, get, you, you have to convince people that they're going to get sick if they don't get it. But on the other hand, wait, this vaccine isn't good enough. We got to keep giving you booster shots. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, it has nothing to do with what the government's saying regarding this vaccine at all. Um, it has everything to do with pointing people to Christ and who he is so that you have eternal salvation, which is only found through Christ. I don't know, Randall, do you want to say something else? Yeah, uh, just real quick. I okay. mean, it's one thing if you want to argue the science and the merits of vaccination for unvaccinated. And, uh, you know, I respect the well-informed decisions of every person, whether they go for it or they don't. Uh, but to bring Jesus into it and make this a it's, it's a stretch to make it a moral issue, sort of, um, somewhat of a stretch, but I'm depending upon the motives um, of those in charge, it is a moral issue. But to to bring Jesus into well, Jesus would <laughs> I, I, uh, Jesus did not. You know, the, again, the reason he came, you know, was to give his life a ransom for many, not to show himself an example of a good citizen, not to show, you know. Uh, Jesus yeah. was anything but a good citizen. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> he didn't come in as an example of how to, you know, walk the line and. Well, the the real law of God, yes, he gave the example of that, the you know, the 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 spirit of the law and, and the letter of the law, really. Uh not pharisaical Judaism. Anyway, but I just think it's it's really talk about going out on thin ice, not calling it a moral issue, stepping out on thin ice is bringing Jesus into it and said he would be vaccinated. The great physician who went around healing people yeah. The, that he would, the, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, you know, the wind and the sea obey him. Uh, he would get a, well, yeah, he and that, would get a vaccine. And I, that, and I it, don't think so. And this is just, you know, kind of a little thumbnail, quick overview of what I kind of believe. Um, if you're new to the show, I know I have some new people watching. So hi, <laughs> you might go. Uh-oh, what is she going to say now? Well, just let, hear me out, okay? Hear me out. If you're new to the show, you don't you don't know who we are, um, then we're so happy that you're here, and there's a part of me that's like, we're so sorry you found us, but, <laughs> but you did. And so I will give you an alternate point of view about what I think is going on with the vaccine, okay? So 
And this is just a thumbnail because I could really go on forever about this. Pastor Billy Crone uh, is a very highly respected pastor in the Nevada area. Okay. He came out of the new age movement. The man has a gift. I mean, he has a massive gift of being able to take, take the news, analyze it from a biblical and prophetic perspective. Before I heard of Billy, and I've actually met him and interviewed him at a prophecy concert so, co- conference a couple years ago. So I've actually met him in person. I've talked to him. Um, you know, I consider him a friend. Before I met him, though, it took me years to kind of get my mind wrapped around the big picture of the enemy's plans for the destruction of humanity. Okay, just to put it bluntly, right? We, we look at scripture, we can read the Bible, and we can see what God's plan is to redeem humanity. But in the, wor- in the word of God, if you read the whole thing, there's actually a plan outlined by the devil to destroy humanity. It begins with the very first prophecy of Christ coming to crush the serpent. If, if the devil didn't deceive Adam and Eve in the beginning... Uh, by tricking them into taking the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we wouldn't even be in this mess, right? But that started, and as a result of that, you ever wonder why Jesus, why Herod wanted to kill Jesus when he was a baby? Poor little innocent Jesus, he didn't even do anything. But why did Herod want to kill him? Because he was the Messiah, because he came to die on the cross for our sin. That's why he wanted to kill Jesus as a baby. Why do all the Jews throughout history, why have the Jewish people been persecuted throughout history? It's because Jesus is Jewish. And so whoever the Antichrist type figure of the day was, like Hitler, the goal was to kill the Jews, to kill anything that came through the line of David to ultimately kill the Messiah, of course, to kill the Jews. Um, You know, if the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel, and it talks about how in the end, in that, during that time, they, if they were building a tower and it was going to go up to heaven and God actually said, if they had been able to accomplish that, they would have been able to accomplish anything that they wanted. God mixed their languages up and he separated the peoples. And as a result, you know, Basically, there was a reset back then, okay? Well, fast forward all these millennia, and now we have another great reset coming because guess what? We have Google Translate. (laughs) We have a world that is literally united technologically, can communicate over the airwaves in any language whatsoever, so we can, quote, do the same thing. Well, here's the thing, though. Jesus is going to come back. The devil knows that, but the devil's goal is to get whoever he wants on his side. So ultimately, the, they're all going to go to hell, right? Okay. You got to believe in the devil to know, to believe that the devil is doing what he's doing. Of course, one of the biggest tricks of the devil is to convince people he doesn't exist, right? So looking at the vaccine issue, just as an example, if you believe like I do that there is a world elite behind the scenes as a puppet master putting together a one world government, which there is, by the way, then you know that these evildoers, their goal is to reduce the world's population by a massive amount of people because it's way easier to control a half a million people than it is 8 billion people. Just saying. America has been targeted by China 
to bring us down, okay? How will we be brought down, though? And this has been this has actually been legitimately documented. I don't have it here, but it's in Billy Crone's documentary, Billy Crone's documentary, <clears throat> that these people basically said that they would invade America from the inside or use a biological weapon to come against me. Okay, well, what better way than a vaccine China created in a lab to kill us? Who do they want vaccinated first? The military. Okay, so if you vaccinate a military of America, just as an example, in order to kill and make the world's greatest superpower weak, what do you do? You vaccinate their military with a poison vaccine designed to kill them at some point. Well, the dissenters in the military, those are the manly men. Uh, I am not going to get a shot. So who's left in the military? Well, let's just say it this way. The femi men are. <clears throat> the, the, the feminized men, the girly men, who do whatever they're told because their puppet strings are easily pulled. All right, so you, you get the military first. Then you go after the medical establishment. You, you inject all the people who are supposed to be saving people. Why? Because, because you don't care about people. <laughs> you don't care about the Nuremberg Code, which basically says you shouldn't do no harm. And that was actually established after Hitler, right? Okay, look it up. Just look that up. We don't have time to go into it, but look that part up. Here's the other thing. So then you have dissenters in the medical world, the people who are going, wait, just a minute. I have a friend at my church. This is a firsthand testimony. Girlfriend at my church is in the medical field. I won't say what she is, but she has treated COVID patients. I actually asked her this past Sunday at our Christmas party. I said, why are you against getting vaccinated yourself? And she said, this is what she told me. She said, because too many people are dying and I can't, I can't do that. I cannot legitimately do my job knowing that hospitals are intentionally murdering people because of this vaccine. That's what she told me. Now, this is somebody I love and respect, and I'm like, yeah, girlfriend, you're on my side <laughs> on that. Okay, so you target the military, you target the medical professions, right? You begin to hit them econ economically, people who will work and do anything for a dollar, thereby compromising their morals and their ethics and everything that they believe for a buck so they can feed themselves. Joe Biden this week put out... Um, you know, his administration put out a basic thing in the, the quote. I don't have it in front of me, but it, the basic quote was um, actually, if you give me a second, I can I can pull it up. Actually, I'm going to pull it up because when I read this, I was like, are you kidding me? I, I was just like, I I, <clears throat> I rolled my eyes because like this is so typical. Yeah, here's this was put on WhiteHouse.gov. So WH.gov, this quote. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through it through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. Really? And a happy new year. <laughs> for the unvaccinated, this is it's, it's all your fault. Um, I'm like, okay, actually, it's the unvaccinated who are staying well. And the people that I know who have died, gotten tumors, who've, who've, and all that, have been the ones who've gotten vaccinated by and large, and or they were unvaccinated around being forced to be around a lot of vaccinated people, and it got they got shed on. Um, bottom line, though, is that the government, the the evildoer Satan, 
is a master manipulator and a marketer, and he has done a wonderful job of using fear to control people with this issue, okay? When 98 point whatever percent of people who get COVID or any of the variants recover from it naturally, there's, there's no reason to have, you know, an injection that says, oh, this is going to protect you. No, it's not. It's going to do more harm to you than good. Um, but what, what a great way to bring down a very strong, wealthy population. And here's the other part. The other part is you go after people's guns. And this is why China will not come in and invade us directly is because we're an armed population. You know, what we have to look at is Australia. If you look at Australia and what's going on in Australia, Australia used to be an armed population too, but they actually had their government come in and do a strong arm disarming people over there not too long ago. And which is why now people, the unvaccinated in Australia are going into concentration camps. I mean, COVID camps, you know, um, our job here is to be smart, to look at, to be a son of Issachar, to know what's going on, to be able to discern the times in which we're living. Um, none of this makes sense unless you understand there is a devil who wants to kill you. And people, and this is the thing, and this is, if I could go like this to all of you and shake you and go, and say, why are you listening to the devil's news report? Why are you listening to Bill Gates? He is like number one devil demon guy. I'm just saying, why are you listening to these people who want to reduce the world's population to half a million? If you go and you look up Georgia Guidestones, they actually have these stones and it says on there what their goal is. This is the new world order. The new world order is being put into place right now, people. It's already here, basically. So the COVID thing, the vaccine thing, you can believe what you want, but I would be careful to, I would, I would do some research on people that, you know, they're not wanting you to listen to besides the mainstream media. Cause that's, you know, owned by the devil himself. Literally China owns our China. Did you know that China runs most of the media in America? Hello. We're no different than China. You got the propaganda coming in, you know, anyway. <clears throat> that was for free. Uh, <laughs> you might hate me now, but that, that's kind of what I, you know, think is interesting. Well, anyway, let's back to our stories here. Um, uh, Christmas tiptoes into Saudi Arabia with trees and Mariah Carey. Now, Randall thinks this is a, a, a interesting news story. So why don't you talk about this one, Bareface? You can, you can talk about this article because you want to talk about this one. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do. There, there's my voice. Now, now this is this is interesting because Saudi Arabia. I've known people that have worked there. You know, non-citizens uh, that have gone to work there. And years ago, you couldn't bring a personal Bible into the country. I mean, you log research, and that that was not allowed. Uh, there would be no trace of Christianity. Even your, you know, you can bring anything in. And uh, that's been relaxed where you could bring your Bible in, but don't you dare take it out of your hotel room or wherever you're staying. Uh, you can get in big trouble. And, um, yeah, I've, over the years, and people who've, who've worked there anyway, 
So Saudi Arabia has been uh, non-favorable <laughs> to anything Christian for a while. So this article on Bloomberg, of all places, uh, Christmas Tiptoes in Saudi Arabia with Trees and Mariah Carey, um, won't read the whole article, but just give you uh, the first few paragraphs to get a taste of it. Is that time of year again, and hearing the perennial, all I want for Christmas is you, in stores and restaurants will hardly make anyone stop in the tracks. Except that is, if you're in Saudi Arabia, the kingdom prohibits the public practice of any religion other than Islam, and allows no churches or places of worship except for mosques. Previously, Christmas trees ordered from abroad were seized by customs, as were other religious accoutrements, such as Buddhist statues. But this year, there's a little more festive cheer in a society whose leadership now allows music, gender mixing, oh no, and we're not talking about transgender and gender dysphoria or anything like that. <laughs> Until recently, men and women couldn't be in the same place. Women couldn't go outside the house unless they were with their husband or a brother or, you know, male uh, accompaniment. So, and the society's leadership allows... Now allows music, gender mixing, and considers fun as a nascent industry. Um, and this is a photo here uh, from uh, Christmas trees for sale at a toy store in Riyadh on December 21st. Anyway, on the streets of Riyadh, there is nothing that explicitly screams Christmas, unlike in Dubai. Yet there's a sense that Santa is following St. Valentine and tiptoeing his way into a city that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman wants to turn into a place that can rival its Emirati neighbor as a magnet for expats and a regional headquarters for global companies. Opening up the conservative kingdom is a key to attracting those foreigners. Uh, as Popular At a popular restaurant in the center of the Saudi capital, Mariah Carey's hit played to diners. Determined shoppers can find trees on permanent open display and not hidden in the back room anymore, along with reindeer headbands, Santa hats, and baubles. Okay, I, I get it. That's Christmas. That's Saturnalia, not worship of Christ. But anyway, more patisseries are offering Yule log-shaped cakes. A furniture store has a had a... A prominent display of recent red candles, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to skip down. The reaction of the Saudis have been mixed, reflecting the divisions over the social changes in the birthplace of Islam. Nora, a Saudi woman, uh, walking past a Christmas tree in a store window, said she didn't mind seeing a symbol of a Christian celebration in Riyadh. They respect us. We respect them. It's their faith, she said. And others have not been so welcoming, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to read the whole article here that's on uh, Bloomberg. But, um, yeah, this is, this, is, um, this is really noteworthy. This is newsworthy that, you know, while it's a political move to make Saudi more friendly to, you know, to foreigners and foreign businesses and stuff like that by bringing in the accoutrements of Christmas. Uh, it's hard, I think, um, at least that opens a window, if you're going to talk about Christmas and keep Christ in Christmas, um, I believe it opens the door to, um, you know, 
the, the gospel, really, and it's it's really noteworthy. The the testimony from that Saudi woman, even though it's a Christmas tree, which <clears throat> I know people would, you know, the ultra, you know, conservative would say that's that's not has nothing to do with Jesus and that's a pagan thing, blah blah blah, and yeah, etc. But this Saudi woman's perception was it's a symbol of a Christian celebration. And anyway, yeah, very noteworthy. So while, <laughs> while in America people aren't sure whether Jesus existed, you know, the Son of God existed before for the birth in Bethlehem. Um, right. Christ is tiptoeing his way into Saudi Arabia that... Um, anyway, by the way, hi to Juanita out there. Thank you for watching. And Jeannie, I see you too. And whoever else is out there watching, glad you're there. Um, and I'm just going to read this headline. I'm not going to read the whole article on this one. Israel today talking about faith, talking about Jesus, right? So according to this article, Jesus is alive and online in Israel. Evangelism floods the internet these days. And here in Israel, some are happy about it. Others, not so much. Um, it goes on to say, it's hard to avoid the pop-ups, ads, and clickbait, and Christian and Messianic missionaries are using these tools to point Israelis to Jesus with eye-catching headlines that use Jewish traditions and culturally sensitive language to ask, why not come to Jesus? And then it goes on, just talks a little bit more about that. You know, if you think about it, it's super exciting. G I mean, things are being banned all over the place, but... The Messianic believers, that's a Jewish person that sees Jesus as their Messiah. And in order to understand that, you have to understand the Bible, right? Jesus came to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. That would be the rest of us. Just okay. But the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was there, they rejected him as their Messiah, even though he had predicted who he, you know, he was coming in the Old Testament. They only had the Old Testament. They were waiting for their Messiah. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, not in the way that he expect, they expected, they rejected him. All right. So then put very simply, the time of the Gentiles came in. That's the time that we're in now. And this was basically the time where God said, okay, we're going to go take this gospel that we first sent it to the Jews who rejected it, and we're going to send it to the Gentiles. That's why Peter and Paul and all these guys were, ex 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 that's why their missions are actually laid out in the Bible and Galatians and other books. They gave specific rules for who they were to go share the message to. Well, long story short, time of the Gentiles comes in, the whole world gets to hear the gospel of Jesus, and near the end of the times of the Gentiles, which we are in now, God is calling his people back to Israel. 1948, May 1948, Israel was born again. It was reestablished as a nation. It came poof. It literally was born in a day, in part thanks to, I think it was Roosevelt, uh, who decided to stay and um, step up and 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 say, okay, Israel has a right to exist. Long story short, 
now Messianic people, Jewish believers are saying, oh my gosh, this Jesus guy, he was the Messiah. He really was. And so I'm going to accept him as the Messiah that was supposed to come. You know that most Jewish synagogues, Isaiah 53 is never read. If you read Isaiah 53, it's perfect description of the crucifixion of Christ because it's because that's what it is. It's the description of that. Anyway, long story short, many Jews have come to Jesus now. Jews for Jesus is very popular. <laughs> but there is pe- there are still people in the Jews who don't want to accept Jesus as their Messiah and they're the ones who are having a fit in Israel because there's so many born again believers in Israel now that it's kind of hard to stop it. They know Jesus is coming back, right? And the big argument has been, is Jesus coming the first time or, or is the Messiah coming the first time or is he coming back the second time? Well, born again, Messianic believers know it's the second time when he comes back again the second time. It's going to be this time that we get to see it. They missed his first coming, but there are still many Orthodox who believe he hasn't come yet, but they're going to be a little bit surprised on that. Mean did okay. Go ahead. Randall wants to say something. Go for it. I was hoping we could um read maybe six verses from Romans chapter eleven. Go for it. All right. This um, is our show. We can do what we want. Nobody can boss us around. Right, I'll take uh, this shot. Okay. Romans chapter eleven, beginning at verse eleven. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Them would be the Israelites. Uh, Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch that as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if the rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of the dough was holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. I'm going to take another view here. But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Uh, You will then say branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Um, it, the whole thing there is that the then the first century rejection by the Jewish leadership, of course not by Jews in general, we wouldn't, the 12 apostles are all Jewish and and you know the 70 disciples all that i mean they were accepted uh yeshua as messiah um but you know of a national um national leadership rejecting him it resulted in the gospel as you said going to the gentiles for the benefit of the world and as paul says if if their rejection led to the blessing of this world what do you think their acceptance of messiah will bring 
and it's exciting times. The, the Yeshua is alive and well, and, and by the online way, in Israel and us places two like hosts, us two hosts have Jewishness in us. Yes, we do. And what's funny is we didn't even know that when we got married, yeah. and we didn't even know we were both part Jewish. But yes, we are. Yeah, we are. So, but yeah, don't I, hate us. I mean, if you do, we'd be. It's part natural to hate Jewish people, but. Um, uh, no. <laughs> uh, just, just, yeah. Don't think that this idea that oh, the, the the Jews may come along and accept Jesus, our Jesus. No, 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 no. It's their Jesus. Right. She was the Jewish Messiah, uh, you know, out of the root of David, out of the root of Jesse, you know, the son of David, all that kind of stuff, all that Old Testament rich. And so it's us. It's, well, we're part as, Jewish, as, but as mostly friend, Gentile. Right. As a friend of mine said yesterday, Jesus was a man of color. Mm. Yes, he was. Yeah. And is, just so you know. Okay. By the way, I just put up a, a t poll over on our YouTube channel, if you're yeah, not you watching there. I did. I asked the question, have you been vaccinated? It's obviously an anonymous poll. You can go over there and you can take it if you'd like. All right. Also, don't forget, this is a listener-supported ministry. Heart Tug International is our nonprofit that oversees Bible News Radio. If you'd like to support us with a year-end do donation, that would be awesome. You can go over to hearttug.org or biblenewsradio.com right there. And there's a donate button on the top of the page. Just donate through there and give your, your best gift. And we will, we, will, we will steward it well for you, I, I promise you. All right. Also, I want to let you know, did you hear this story about, um, okay, where did it go? There it is. Germany Bible Museum puts on play presenting Jesus as transgender weeks before Christmas. And Franklin Graham, who I am no fan of, as you all know, <laughs> I actually agree with him on this particular point. Um, he says it is just sick. But let's read part of the article here. It says here, a Bible museum in Germany set up an exhibit claiming that there are LGBTQ themes in biblical studies and hosted a play that presents a transgender Jesus Christ as a male who identifies as a female. The Bible House, or Bible House, Bible House, whatever, in Frankfurt, has the exhibit running in, until December 19th, and the play took place on December 15th. The exhibit, which I'm not even going to read because I don't want to say anything bad, encourages visitors to take a look at the diversity of gender identities from biblical and modern times and find a divine answer that fits all questions. You are good as you are. The Bible House website presents three of the exhibits, a statue of the goddess Asherah, which, by the way, <laughs> is all throughout the Bible, talks about it and talks about how God's people like tore down that and, you know, it was the enemy of God and all this stuff. But anyway, the, a statue of the goddess Asherah, an image of the new Adam with an LGBTQ pride rainbow flag and a statue of Conchita Wurst, the drag queen persona of Austrian singer Thomas Neuwirth. Quote, even in biblical times 3,000 years ago, it was clear the fertility of the soil, animals, and people depends on the gods. The exhibit's blurb on Asher reads, a de deity can do both beget and give birth. The museum notes that Asherah in Judea and Samaria still belong firmly in many households. Not real surprising. 
Created in God's image, Adam is the blueprint for each of us. The museum website explains what does that reveal about people and themselves, about God, and much more importantly, about ourselves. The alchemists of the Middle Ages found a beguiling answer. God's image is both male and female in the origin when it all began, and finally in the future. And the new creation of God then no longer applies to male or female, but all are one. In addition to this exhibit, which opened on June 23rd, uh, <clears throat> uh, the Bible House hosted the play The Gospel According to Jesus, Queen of Heaven, written by the English transgender author Joe Clifford. On December 15th, the play was performed in German for the first time. First performed in Glasgow in, in 2009, the Queen of Heaven play involves biblical stories being reimagined by a transgender Jesus. Clifford, who identifies as a trans woman, explained the origin of the play in 2019 in a 2019 interview. I had been brought up as a Christian and taught that when you're unsure of what to do, you should try to think, what would Jesus do? I thought, well, what would Jesus do if Jesus came back to earth now and was me, a trans woman? What would she do and what would she say? That was the origin of the play, Clifford said. And then Franklin Graham, president of Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, slammed the exhibit and the play in a statement to Fox News on Wednesday. He said, the idea that there's an LGBTQ theme in the Bible is a lie. Graham, son of the late global evangelist Billy Graham, said, when homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible, it is sin, rebellion against God, and associated with his judgment. That I, agree with, I agree with Franklin on that. Any suggestion that Jesus Christ is transgender is not only false, it's just sick, Graham added. This is simply man trying to bring God down to his own level. Fortunately, we don't have to wonder who Jesus Christ is because God tells us himself in the Bible. When God sent his son on a rescue mission to earth to save us from our sins, he chose to come to us as a man, Jesus Christ. From the time of Christ's birth on that first Christmas morning to his sacrificial death on the cross to his resurrection from the tomb, the Bible only refers to Jesus Christ as a male. Graham said, the Bible has many names for Jesus, including Son of God, Son of Man, <laughs> Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and the Bridegroom of the Church. The Bible doesn't leave any confusion or uncertainty over how God has revealed himself to us. The evangelist concluded, this is why any effort to describe Jesus Christ as transgender must be condemned as a profane perversion of the scriptures. And even more importantly, I mean, I can't say it's like even more importantly, the thing that's sad to me about that is that this poor person, um, this poor man who believes he's a girl, um, doesn't want to accept the God-given body that God created him to be. And rather than get some psychological help from godly people that can help him out, he has been encouraged by the culture and the society to embrace the lie that he's really a woman and embrace mutilating his body to trans, quote, gender, to change his gender um, as a woman. Satan has done a great job. That self-deception is amazing. And the Bible over and over and over again, all throughout the New Testament, especially, it actually says do not deceive yourselves. Be careful. Do not deceive yourselves. Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. Okay, that's what Jeremiah says. 
Our hearts are just desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. So do you think it's possible to to deceive yourself? Yes, it is. And what better way than the enemy of God and the enemy of our soul than to confuse somebody's gender identity in their mind? You know, and here's the thing that was really heartbreaking to me is that there are people who have embraced the lies from the enemy regarding their gender and their sexuality um, because they've been encouraged to by the psychology world, by culture, and unfortunately, even some in the church. And yet, the very image of God is what we were all created. We were all created in, in, in his image, you know, male and female, period, he created them both. Yes, there are there are abnormalities sometimes with gender, um, with um, biological parts, but that doesn't address the mind. You know, the Bible talks about to be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans chapter twelve two. It says not to be conformed to this world. If you, if, if, you, if you want to be conformed to this world, you're going to embrace all those identities that the world is trying to convince you God created when he didn't create it. God is not the author of confusion. And I've never met one person in that community who has been at peace, but who has been confused and unsettled because of it. And it's sad because God didn't come to confuse us. He came to set us free. And to give us peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So that's sad. And it's a mockery of God. And Jesus knows. You know. Now it wouldn't be Christmas time, however. If there weren't some nativities being stolen. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, according to Fox News 35 in, Or- in, in Orlando. <laughs> in, Dor- in Orlando. Um, there's an article titled Baby Jesus Statue Stolen Christmas Display Damaged in Ovidio or Ovidio or however you say that. I don't know. If it's Spanish uh, origin, origin, I would say Oviedo. But, okay. Okay. but who knows how locals pronounce it. Well, anyway, this story says somebody took Baby Jesus Statue from two homes in Seminole County and destroyed another Christmas display at a third home. So, yeah. So that's just, you know, we're not going to read the whole article, but, you know, that's happening. Uh, but then also we have an article titled over here on um, the BBC News titled Stolen Baby Jesus Figure Found <laughs> Near Preston Nativity Scene. So, you know, so clearly Jesus was stolen in Florida, but here uh, in Preston City, it says here a baby Jesus figure, which was stolen from a city's nativity scene, has been found leaning against a nearby tree. Uh, the figurine was taken when the popular scene in the flag market in Preston was vandalized earlier this week. The authority appealed for Jesus to be returned to the town hall before Christmas. Um, <laughs> it's not funny, but it is funny. Uh, anyway, this was in the, the apparently the United Kingdom. So it's all it's a worldwide phenomena that you know nativity scenes Jesus is being being stolen everywhere. Now in California. There we have another article titled, um, and this is in the Orange County Register. I grew up, I was, lived in Orange County many years, uh, titled, Why Won't Gavin Newsom Just Say Jesus? Uh, Merry Christmas. 
Uh, even to Governor Gavin Newsom. Earlier this month, Newsom hosted the ceremonial lighting of the Capitol holiday tree and expertly avoided any mention of Christianity, a stunning feat considering he was overseeing the lighting of a giant evergreen tree in December. Talk about cultural appropriation. Who knows why he so willingly joined the League of Haters? I asked his office and they gave me a non-answer answer. I'll get to it in a second. But I mean it. Merry Christmas. By haters, I don't mean people of other faiths or those who love the spirit of the season but don't have much of a belief in God. Believe what works for you. I mean the people like Newsom who apparently think a mere mention of the name Jesus Christ will cause them to burst into flames or that the phrase Merry Christmas is an attack on them. It's a beautiful seasonal greeting. In the spirit of Christmas, I hope everyone finds some peace and happiness over the next few weeks, spends time with loved ones, and gets some well-deserved rest and relaxation. If you are of another faith, please accept my Merry Christmas as a sign of respect. And if you send a greeting back my way, I accept it with gratitude, because that's how this whole civilized society thing works. We share what's important to us with each other and allow people to be who they are. I've celebrated Christmas for my entire life, but this is the first year I will celebrate as a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. Praise God. I know. I'm actually very excited about it. Oh, I want to cry hearing that. <clears throat> I've written about my nascent, did I say that right? Yes. Faith a few times over the past nine months or so. I'm so proud I said that word right. <laughs> I'm certainly in no position to preach since I'm still figuring it out myself, but I would be doing a disservice to readers and God by not at least mentioning that in the gospel, I have found what I was looking for, a source of strength, structure, purpose, and tremendous relief from the feelings of isolation that have plagued me at any given moment throughout my life. I got like something in my eye. There yeah, we go. There we go. That's what she says. <laughs> I got a tear. <laughs> And I suppose that's why I was so disappointed by Newsom's ceremonial capital holiday tree lighting. <laughs> Newsom's office told me that the ceremony was meant to be inclusive. There was a rabbi explaining the lighting of the Hanukkah, menorah, and interfaith choir, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, a young student with developmental disabilities, Native Americans who offered a prayer, a mariachi singer who worked in Navidad, a, po a poet who spoke of unity, and the announcers for the Giants and Dodgers. Well, that's diversity, people. <laughs> it was an inclusive affair and everyone was invited, except everyone except Jesus. Sure, Christmas was mentioned a few times and there were two Christmas songs that didn't mention Jesus, plus a version of Joy to the World, which is overtly Christian normally, but was altered to just repeat the lyrics Joy to the World. But it was obviously scrubbed of all Christian context. Christians don't own December. So having an inclusive affair is wonderful, but it wasn't the lack of Jesus that stood out so much as the lengths Newsom went to avoid him. It's kind of sad when you think about it. Maybe Newsom was hoping to pick a fight and get mentioned on Fox because he's in campaign mode after all. But here's what Newsom doesn't get. Jesus's influence is everywhere. He can't escape it. The Christmas tree tradition, for example, was started by German Christians in the 1600s. The influential Protestant reformer Martin Luther is credited with being the first to add lights, which of course were candles back then. But it's bigger than that. Our entire sense of history is based on Jesus's life embedded in the calendar. He inspired countless works of art. Many children had little to no value before he came along. He elevated the status of women. 
which Come I'm thankful. On. His followers changed the way we care for people with the invention of hospitals. He made humility a virtue. He is a uniter. Billions of people in the world are his followers, and billions more have followed him throughout time. Followers like Mother Teresa and Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. are held up as some of the best humanity has to offer. He is the single most influential person who ever lived, even to those who don't believe in him. And those are just historical facts. That doesn't mean any of his followers have acted poorly. Some of the worst atrocities throughout history have been committed purportedly in his name, but that's not his fault. Approximately half the state identifies as Christian. That's referring to California, by the way. That isn't an attack on anyone else's beliefs, just as the existence of people with different beliefs isn't an attack on mine. Newsom is right that this is a season of inclusion, but inclusion is about giving up, giving everyone a voice and opening ourselves up to different ideas and cultures and customs, even if we sometimes find those things challenging. Inclusion is not about scrubbing away our differences. In the spirit of unity and the spirit of love, I again wish everyone a Merry Christmas, says Matt Fleming, who is a member of the Southern California News Group editorial board. And you can follow him at Fleming Words on Twitter, which I am going to do, actually. I'm going to tweet Matt after the show, and I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Thank you for the article I just shared on Bible News Radio. Welcome to the family. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> so, there you go. See, that's what it's about. <clears throat> yeah, I cry, okay? I'm crying, I admit it. Um, but that's that's what it's about. Because when somebody comes to Jesus and receives who he is, he becomes a child of God. And all of the hooey that they believe, <laughs> that they believed, all of a sudden there's this thing, these scales have been dropped off their eyes, and they can see clearly like waking up from the longest dream. Yeah. That is so cool to me. Um, and that's why I don't get mad at unbelievers because they don't know. They don't, they, they can't see. But that's why we have the greatest, you know, opportunity in the world to share Christ um, because, because of that. So let's see here. Um, okay. Letter to the editor. We're almost done. We got like a couple more stories left. I'm not going to read all of these, all of them in in their things. But this letter to the editor is titled America's Distancing Itself from Jesus Christ. So the very fact that somebody came to Christ is awesome. Um, Starts out, America is no longer a Christian nation. Vladimir Putin said that, You, you know, that guy, the dictator in Russia, formerly the USSR, that guy. Uh, It says here, addressing a student panel in Russia, Americans should be alarmed that one of our foremost adversaries made this observation. This image, contrary to our history, is how the world now sees us. Just let that sink in, okay? All right. Next story. I read that one. Um, Did you guys hear about the gold ring with Jesus' symbol among treasure trove, trove that oh. has been, what? Okay, done with that story. That went past. Well, I don't want, I mean, you know, we got, uh, I don't want to read. I can't read everything. You can just read the headline. So there's right. a gold ring with Jesus' symbol among treasure trove found in ancient shipwreck off of Israel. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> 
And I will tweet these out. I'll tweet these stories out if you care. I have a Bible News Radio Twitter account that, that you could follow. Uh, but if, you, if you're watching the show on video, you can actually look at this ring. It's gold and it has like this blue crystallized uh, thing. And it says here, Israeli researchers on Wednesday displayed a Roman era golden ring with an early Christian symbol for Jesus inscribed in its gemstone found in a shipwreck off the ancient port of Caesarea. The thick octagonal, octagonal, did I say? Octagonal. Octagonal. Either way, I've heard it both ways. (laughs) I've never heard it either way. Anyway, a gold ring with its green gemstone bore the figure of the good shepherd in the form of a young shepherd boy and a tunic with a ram or a sheep across his shoulder. It's kind of hard to see that, but, but I do think this is interesting. It says here, the ring was found among a trove of 3rd century Roman coins as well as bronze eagle figurine bells to ward off evil spirits, pottery, and a Roman some type figurine <clears throat> and a comic mask. The Israel Antiquities Authority said in a statement. Anyway, you can, I'll tweet this one out. You can see this. You can go look it up. <clears throat> I think that's very interesting. Um, and then, of course, uh, I, I got two more stories. American Christmas. Guns, propaganda, and the GOP. Who is really waging war on Christmas in the U.S.? <laughs> now, this this is funny, and I wanted I wanted to I wanted to read this because you know there there is other point of view out there that thinks that we are the ones waging war on on Christmas. And so. this is on Al Jazeera. Yeah, right. <laughs> So it says here, the holiday season is known for its celebration of life, togetherness, and the giving. But for some U.S. politicians, spreading Christmas cheer has come to mean promoting an increasingly dangerous gun culture. And what appears to be the latest GOP trend, Republican leaders have been posting their Christmas greetings with portraits of their families posing with military gun-grade guns. Uh, Didn't we have a local guy? Didn't our mayor do that? The county mayor. Our county yeah. mayor here to, here in Spring Hill actually Not did about that. Military grade. That's an exaggeration. But, well, anyway. So it says here on December 4th, Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky tweeted a Christmas greeting with a photo of himself and his with his grinning family in front of a Christmas tree armed to the teeth with assault weapons powerful enough to lead a small militia. The image was posted just four days after 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly allegedly killed four of his fellow students and injured seven others at Oxford High School in Michigan in what was the year's deadliest school shooting. Just one day before the shooting, Crumbly was caught by teachers searching for ammo on his phone. Okay, so note, okay, let's be apologists, okay. Let's, Let's see what we're doing here. Let's analyze the news. So, so... They are trying to vilify people who care about the Second Amendment by using a poor kid who who did a horrible thing with guns, right? And, and you know, gun violence is a real thing, but guns are not the problem. See, America would not be standing today if it was not for the fact that we have a Second Amendment and people have the right to bear arms. That's why China will not invade us because there's so many that we have a un, uh, what's the word, unofficial militia in America with all the armed people in America. I live in Tennessee. I remember when I first got here because I grew up in California, right? Get to Tennessee. We're at this where we were at um, a, uh, a pizza place and I was sitting at the, the bar. Yeah, at the bar 
not drinking, but at the bar, the counter, sitting at the counter. And this guy walks up, he sits down, and we start talking. I'm talking to him and everything, and and um, just, you know, talking about how it's cool to be in Tennessee, blah, blah, et cetera. And um, I look down, and I note that he has the gun on him. <laughs> Something you do not see in California, by the way. Um, I thought, oh, cool. I pointed it out. I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, I found out later the guy was a cop, okay? <laughs> but I have girlfriends that have guns in their car that carry them on their ankle. Uh, you know, I, I know more people who have guns than I know that don't have guns. Um, so guns don't kill people. People kill people. That This is where the argument is so dumb from the left. It's like, well, you know, guns kill people. Well, you know what? There's a lot of car accidents in the world too and the people get killed in car accidents so let's just ban a car you know cigarettes kill people too we need to ban cigarettes the vaccine is killing tons of people why don't we just ban the vaccine just saying um <laughs> it's stupid logic right because they, they they don't go to the heart of the issue which is the heart that is the issue and for these children you know who have been killing people since Columbine, by the way, it has gone rapidly up, you know. My question as a middle-aged woman is, what happened to that kid? You know, where are his parents? What is, you know, and here's the other question I ask. How much time has he spent on video games that have guns? And why is he living in a world with video games? that are teaching people to kill you. I mean, there's so much more to it than this, but the propaganda here posted on Al Jazeera is very interesting. I just thought I'd throw that out so you can see that. All right, last story. <clears throat> and I saved, I don't know if this is the best or not, the best for last, but uh, last story is, did Jesus experience trauma? Experts say yes, to which... Can we all say collective duh? Duh. duh. I don't think you have to be an expert. <laughs> right. <sighs> but this is interesting. This is an interesting uh, story. And I and I have to say the reason I brought this up is because I have a friend that is an expert in trauma. And I thought, oh, we were just talking about trauma. And now I see the story. Did Jesus experience trauma? Experts say yes. Duh. Okay, for unto us a child is born into hardship. Abby Perry writes, quick scroll through social media can bring an onslaught of bad news both globally and in our personal lives. There's no end to stories about sin ravaging people, families, and whole communities. We suffer broken relationships, dreams deferred, and life-changing illnesses or injuries. Unspeakable losses leave us feeling betrayed or abandoned by those we love. In our internal and external spaces, we are confronted by disillusioning pain and dis disappointment. This is the human condition life in a broken world. And our bodies, as Bessel van der Kolk puts it, keep the score, housing trauma responses within them. By the way, there's the book called This Guy, Bessel van der Kolk, who, by the way, there is some controversy over the author there. Um, he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and if you, if you ever want to read, read that book, it's basically about how trauma is stored within our body okay so like if like if you have pain in your neck it could be because you've you've had trauma in your neck at some point you know um but anyway 
Abby goes on to say, Christians love to say, but God is still good. A statement that's filled with truth yet rushes past a needed moment of recognition. One that acknowledges the fact that loss, heartbreak, and pain need to be processed for us to experience the warmth and grace of a loving God. Very true. Our communal stress and trauma have been on full display over the last two years as we've watched people die separated from loved ones, balanced changes to our work lives, and battled the disorienting effects of extended isolation. As we emerge from the pandemic's darkest hours, we are grappling with how to rebuild the stabilizing structures of our lives, often with damaged or missing bricks. While Christmas can be the most wonderful time of the year, and that's in quotes, Advent is a time when we are waiting for the magic to start. How can we find healing from the wounds that refuse to take time off for Christmas break? Where is Jesus in our persistent pain that clamors to be heard above the din of a world chanting its desire to move on from suffering? The answer comes to us not in an explanation, but in a name. Emmanuel. Or God with us. Rather than sending us a distant Savior who would rescue us from on high, God sent us a child born in a manger. Yeah, he did. God's invitation to us this Advent season is not one of manufactured joy or avoidance of the pain we've endured. Instead, we are invited into a story that reflects the communal trauma of a different time. Yes, Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of divine purpose, but he is also fully human. Our Savior sympathizes with our suffering because he experienced the same from the moment he entered our world as a vulnerable baby. When we think about who Jesus is, we might choose terms like Lord, King, and Son of God. Of course, these are exactly right, but there are descriptions that might not roll off the tongue quite so easily. As Dr. Matthew Stanford, CEO of Hope and Healing Center and Institute, observes, Jesus was also a child born into abject poverty, displaced even as an infant with his refugee family. Mary endured tremendous stress during her pregnancy and labor while Jesus was still in her womb. Jesus' family was blended by necessity while all while enduring the dangers of living in a a land hostile to their existence. Jesus' life is one shaped from the very beginning by trauma, which does not diminish his kingship or salvic power. In fact, it only enhances our ability to know and be loved by our Savior, who joins us in the mess of our lives. Compassionate withness. The fascinating science of trauma teaches us that our responses can both can be both mental and physical. In fact, we cannot separate the two. As we learn more about Jesus' life, we know he was an outcast. We know he faced public scrutiny and condemnation. We know he faced rejection from his friends and judgment from people in power. His emotional anguish is detailed in the New Testament as he coped with the pressures of his life by uh, often escaping to pray when overwhelmed by the crowds. But we also see signs of trauma in how Jesus' physical body responded to this stress. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus begins to sweat blood. Blood. There's a well-documented medical condition in which patients who are under a tremendous amount of emotional stress and physiological stress can, in fact, sweat blood because little blood vessels within the glands burst and then the blood is expressed, explains Dr. David Acuna, a trauma surgeon. 
Under the weight of the sins of the world, Jesus' body began to show signs of acute stress and trauma even before the physical tormenting leading to the crucifixion. And the crucifixion itself took place. In a moment of overwhelming love for us, dedication to his Father's will, and desperation to be released from the agony to come, Jesus suffered in his mind, body, and spirit as he knelt in the garden. And then he surrendered himself to the men who would torture, humiliate, and murder him. From a neurobiological perspective, we know that Jesus experienced pain so intense and overwhelming that by any human standards would likely mean he became traumatized, says author and therapist Andy Kolber. This knowledge brings a different essence to the phrase, God with us. God's nearness to us in pain is not just an empty platitude, but instead demonstrated through Jesus' experiential knowledge of suffering. As a trauma therapist, I've learned the absolute necessity of compassionate witness to heal from pain, which is why I can't overstate the importance of the compassionate witness of our God. Kind of like witness, but witness. Unwrapping the good news. Just like the coziness of the Christmas season isn't always enough to lift us from our sadness, thin understandings of the gospel can't help us cling to our faith. Some days it isn't enough for us to know that we will go to heaven one day, and the bodily experience of Jesus tells us that it doesn't have to be. Nothing more clearly demonstrates the depth of God's love for us than Jesus' willingness to personally experience the traumas associated with the fallen world so that we might be reconciled to the Father, says Stanford. Christ is understanding and approachable. He knows what it is to suffer and can truly relate to those he created. The comfort he offers those who have experienced trauma is grounded in his own experience. Jesus' calling this Advent and Christmas season is not merely a plea to remember that someday all of this pain and suffering will end. True. <clears throat> the true gift of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection is layered deep with the hope that we are not alone and the pain will not last forever. Jesus is with us today. He was with us yesterday, walking on a broken earth and suffering its tremendous cruelties just as we do. And yes, he will be with us when the pain of the past can no longer harm us and its memory can only unite us with the one who bears his scars, our scars in eternity. In the weeks to come, you may see an ad on your television screen that tells the story of a Savior who is not against us but for us. Seeking to reintroduce Jesus, the, quote, He Gets Us campaign shares Jesus' message of love with the world. Through imagery, the written word, and conversation, the He Gets Us campaign tells the lonely, the anxious, the heartbroken, and the lost about the Jesus who knows exactly how they feel and desires never to, to leave them alone in it. Churches can get involved by signing up through GLOO, G-L-O-O, G-L-O-O, <laughs> to get connected to people who reach out for prayer or conversation during Christmas season. No matter the pain, Jesus gets it. May this event and Christmas season be a time when many come to know the one who did not shy away from suffering, but entered into it so that we might know the wonders of his love. Isn't that beautiful? That was a beautiful um, Indeed. article, I think. And that is where we will end this episode of Bible News Radio. Because I want you to know that Randall and I 
wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you an opportunity and a desire to fall more in love with the baby boy that is to be worshipped and adored, but realize that that baby boy died for your sin because he loves you. And then he conquered death, and he overcame death by rising from the dead. And then he ascended to the heavens, and he is going to be coming back soon. And, and or we will be caught up together with him in the air, we'll be raptured, uh, or we will die a physical death ourselves first and be re- reunited with him that way. <clears throat> if you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus as the God that he is who loves you more than you can ever know, let me encourage you to open up the Gospel of John in the Bible. You can Google it. You can go to Bible.cc and look up John and begin reading the Bible. Just begin reading the Bible. The Bible will tell you, it will show you who Christ is. Just pray and ask him to reveal himself. And if you do, in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And that's what he wants you to be his child. For unto us, a child is born. Interesting that God would give us a child so that we could become his children. To me, that's cool. (laughs) Also, to me, that's the greatest story that's ever told. It really is. And it's not over yet. And it's going to get hot, believe me, <laughs> in the coming days. So um, so we just want to say Merry Christmas. Hope you enjoyed the show. Drop us a line at our website, BibleNewsRadio.com. Uh, remember, our goal here is to reach the hearts of people one verse at a time and to encourage you in your faith. We'll see you again. 